I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Sexton, CEO. This week, we're going to take you back one year to when Rob O'Brien joined Chad on the podcast. Rob is with O'Brien and Associates, and they discussed disaster recovery. For those of you who listen regularly, I hope that you do know we have a lot of clients who've been impacted negatively recently by natural disasters, most recently Hurricane Ian rolling through Florida. I hope that you find this podcast informative and can take some of the lessons from it and apply it into your communities because disaster can strike anywhere at any time. And as economic development professionals, chambers of commerce, elected officials, it's something you should always be ready for. Uh, Although we don't like to think of risk, it is definitely something you have to consider, especially when it comes to your economic prosperity. So take notes, reach out to us with any questions you might have, chuck at nextmovegroup.com, and I will return next week with a new guest. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. So today we've got a man with us that I highly respect. So we've got Rob O'Brien here with us today. He is the founder of O'Brien and Associates, was a longtime economic development and chamber leader in Joplin, Missouri, and I'm sure other places that we'll get into. So many of you will know Rob, our Evergy territory will probably know him well, and I've had a lot of respect for him for a long, long time. So I'm so pleased to have him on our show. So Rob, welcome. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here and talk about what we all love, you and I, and of course our listeners, is economic development. Yes, sir. Well, tell us uh, about O'Brien and Associates and some of the things you're up to right now before we kind of get into your economic development history as a practitioner. O'Brien and Associates was formed actually about three years ago when I left the Joplin, Missouri Chamber of Commerce. And basically, it was a way to give back to other communities that are looking at economic development in kind of a broad scope. My sweet spot, I guess you will, is first and foremost, helping organizations with strategic planning, with organizational effectiveness. You know, those board meetings, you plan for the year and make those effective and make sure you get to things that the organization wants to focus on and has capacity to do. I also do workforce studies. And I would say, Chad, I want to differentiate that some from uh, labor availability studies. I think we've all heard and done probably over the years, labor availability studies to validate that we have a workforce in our community for new companies coming in. While that's part of it, for example, the one I'm just finishing off 
And in fact, I heard you mention Evergy, it's in Evergy territory in West Central Missouri is a, a seven county region. And we look at the demographic trends that are impacting the workforce, the comparity in terms of wages against their more immediate competitors, what's been going on, of course, with COVID. And we've seen more emphasis in the workforce on flex time and remote work. Well, how does that play out for their area? And so it's much more wide ranging than just the labor availability part. Well, uh, so I picked you up in Joplin. I think I met you probably at IEDC events and whatnot, but uh, I really don't know your background before then. So why don't you walk us back through how you got in this business and uh, walk us up to Joplin? Because I know what you did once you got there. That goes back to 1985. And I started in economic development. What I had been doing prior to that, actually in media, in the news and sales and media and a volunteer at the uh, Muncie, Indiana Chamber and working on small business. And the chamber went through a wholesale change to try and get more aggressive on economic development. And I had a relationship with the then relatively new president at the chamber. And he said, I'd like you to do economic development here and take your background in communication and sales, you know the business community well and see if we can really mount an economic development effort. So that's how I began in economic development. And I was there about five years and then went to Warsaw, Indiana, which is in the northern part of the state. A smaller community has a great manufacturing base and they were in kind of a mode to rebuild both the chamber and their economic development efforts. So I was there five years and then had an opportunity to come to Joplin. And I grew up in northern Missouri, but over the course of time, I had family that was in Oklahoma. I had family that was in Kansas City. There was always the call from that side to say, well, why can't you get closer here instead of being in Indiana? And Joplin was a a good opportunity. And so I came to Joplin. You're very enthusiastic about economic development. After all these years, I mean, what gets you still as excited about it, whether you're talking, uh, you know, workforce advantage or strategic planning, I mean, other than just making a living at it, what is it that's fun to you? (laughs) I think it is still fun. And it's great to see other communities. Obviously, I did a lot of workforce development, economic development, all of the components of that you get into when you're the head of the organization in a community and working for that in Joplin. And we have a great city in Joplin. I always said, you know, in some respects, Joplin became the long-term career because a lot of times you run out of things to do or your board finally says, okay, you finally hit on stupid ideas. It's time to leave. And in Joplin, the business community always wants to see progress and always had a willingness to try new things. And it's a great community. But what gets me going now is that opportunity to go out and say, look, it's a great business. You can have a real impact on the community's future. But at the heart of it, at the end of the day, what you're really doing is making sure that the residents in your community have a good life. You know, they have a better job. They have a stronger set of skills that gets them the better job. The community can thrive and help start new small businesses up. It might be incremental, step by step, but those are things that change a community and change it for the better. And it changes the life of the people who live there for the better. 
Rob, we've had several economic developers who got their start in media. What do you think about that background in media kind of translates then into being a good economic developer? I think there's probably, at least from my background, there are a couple of things. One, on the news side, if you're doing that, obviously you are involved in the community. You're touching a lot of bases in terms of government, you know, local government, you know, county government. You're covering the stories day in and day out, but you're also covering uh, the human interest side of that and the economic side of what's going on in the community. And you get to report on a new business coming in or a local company expanding and it puts you in touch with the business community. And so I think that communication side from media and how to help tell the story and really get to the focus of why it's impactful is great background. The other side for me being in sales, it gave me an opportunity in Muncie, Indiana to talk to a lot of small businesses, which is why I got involved on the Small Business Council at the Chamber and understand what they would like to achieve. And we're talking about advertising, but what's that message? What do they want to talk about? Help them present themselves well, but also you start building those relationships and you get a little deeper insight into their pain points and what they're struggling with, and if there's an opportunity to help them. And again, that was my involvement in the chamber because I was a news and advertising guy. I wasn't necessarily the small business counselor, but getting the connections through the chamber helped me refer clients to people who could help them. Right. Well, I know people probably don't like to talk about the Joplin tornado in New Orleans. We still have the K word, Katrina. People bring it up and we say, oh, we don't talk about that anymore. But you told me just before we logged on, September is National Disaster Preparedness Month, I believe. Of course, this time of the year, I start looking at the National Hurricane Center about once a week, seeing where all the little lines are going. Because when you live in New Orleans, that's what you do. So Take us back to, I guess, 2011. Is that when the storm came? You know, take us back to the day before the storm came or the week before, you know, kind of what initiatives were y'all working on? And then talk about just how overwhelming it had to be. And then, you know, and I know there's a lot of stuff that goes on in there, but I just went to Joplin two, three months ago and I couldn't have been more impressed. I mean, everything, brand new schools, new hospitals, well thought out, well planned, tremendous name brand industries that people have heard of, lots more industry than I thought. So, I mean, 10 years later, the town just looks incredible. But take us back to, you know, the day it happened and how do you even start getting a plan from an economic development perspective? Thanks for visiting and your observations. It was great to have you in town and glad that you're Working with my former employer, the Joplin Chamber and the Mocan Partnership, there is a lot that went on. But, you know, when you live in this part of the country, you always have that season that's the tornado season, and you keep an eye on the weather, and it can be rough at times. We didn't anticipate the level of this. This was one of those times when, unfortunately, the weather patterns all combined to create an EF5 tornado. It had been a little less out on the far southwest side of Joplin, but gathered strength and became an EF5 just as it got to the edge of Joplin and went through the south third of the community. And at times, the path of the storm was a mile wide. It didn't jump like a lot of tornadoes do. It stayed on the ground and just churned its way through and left 
a massive amount of devastation in its wake. And that evening, I think it was the first responders at that point, the critical emergency services, it was trying to, for them, find people. For the residents who were in the path or at the edge of the storm, it was trying to figure out how they could regroup. And for many of them, more family members were, because of course, it's a Sunday afternoon and people are out and about and the storm made it very difficult for people to get back home or people to get in touch and find out what the status was. That was just heartbreaking that whole night of trying to get through the damage and rescue people and understand really the impact of how we could respond. For us, and I would say as the Joplin Chamber, we had actually spent a lot of time developing an emergency preparedness plan, like many businesses do. You know, what happens if the power goes out or how do we keep in touch as employer and employees if we can't go into the office because it burned down, those types of things. What we never envisioned was the fact that our office would be fine and we would have 530 businesses and organizations that were destroyed or damaged by that tornado. And so we felt it was very important, first and foremost, that Monday morning after the Sunday storm, to see how fast we could gather resources and also get in contact with businesses. We had a list of vacant buildings, available buildings. So for those companies that had been completely destroyed, we certainly ran through those lists first to try and get them placed. We also had a tremendous response from people in town who said, you know, I have my business, it's still standing, but I have an empty office, or I have a back room, I'll throw everything out in the parking lot and somebody can come in here and operate. And we could link businesses to all of these very generous other businesses that were trying to help provide space. We had a big clearinghouse, if you will, going on of who has resources, even down to generators and blue tarps. You've seen it, of course, Chad, being where you are, you know, those blue tarps for the roof, all the way up to space. We were doing the outreach. We didn't do it on Monday, but by Tuesday, we felt there was enough street clearing that had gone on in that first response that was starting to taper off that we could start putting staff members out into the field. And they were tracking down every business, not just our members, but every business. And it was difficult, I will tell you, because everything is rubble and there are no street signs and it's hard to Imagine that you see a business every day and you know exactly how to get there. And all of a sudden, you don't know how to get there. And if you can get on the right street, you're not sure where that business is because, you know, there's no visual to help you. But we felt that the business people would be at those businesses. And so we started contacting them and what they wanted. In the meantime, on the longer term scale, we started forming up a one-stop center. And it started again on that Monday with the Small Business Development Center folks and asked them to come down and be with us. As you know, because you've been here, we have an innovation center or incubator, some people might say, adjacent to the chamber. And we just had a company that had finished training in the big room there. And so they were out. Uh, we still had tables set. We still had computer wires strung from their training. We were able to get the SBDC in and plugged in. We had reached out to the Small Business Administration. The SBA folks were coming in. 
we asked them to join us and their initial response was, well, we usually co-locate with FEMA, but tell us what you're trying to do. And that had to go all the way to the top people on their disaster side. But they said, hey, no, what? This makes a lot of sense to us. We'd rather be with you. And then we had some attorneys and insurance people. The Missouri Secretary of State came down with the, their setup to help recover corporate papers out of the state because mm -hmm. a lot of people had lost their incorporation papers and all of that. So we formed up a one-stop center. We got that open on Thursday after the tornado. And that stayed open for about 100 days. And then even after some of the other entities left, the Small Business Development Center stayed for a year in terms of being uh, there to help people. And again, a lot of it is just communication. And we found over time, Chad, the most popular thing that we did in terms of communication was just this ongoing status online, but the media helped us promote it, of the status of businesses. So anybody could say, Jay, I wonder about my favorite restaurant if they, I know the building was damaged. I wonder if they've reopened yet. Yes, they could go look. But we had a team of folks who did nothing but check with businesses, relentlessly determine their status for that first year. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my buildings and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other buildings and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo and see if this can help your community have more success. So how soon after did the federal government show up and start clearing debris? I mean, was that the next week or two weeks later? Or? FEMA had, they actually had a team on the ground the next morning. It just so happened they had a couple of people who were close by. They moved pretty quickly, at least to start putting people on the ground. The SBA person was the next morning, so we could begin that discussion. So they get people on the ground pretty quickly. Of course, that first wave of their assistance, along with all of the services that you see, like Salvation Army and Red Cross nationally, and then regional programs that do disaster recovery, they were all there within 24 hours, 48 hours. But, you know, that was pretty quick. The big heavy cleanup really started in July, so call it about five weeks. There was a lot of pushing stuff around on properties and 
making determinations if they could be salvaged or not. Of course, every insurance company had big teams here to talk about the claims with their policyholders and that type of thing. But that big cleanup where the heavy equipment comes in and the big trucks and all mm-hmm. of that really started about a month afterwards and ran pretty much into early fall. And how long after the storm did it take before you felt like, I know, I mean, right at first it has to be just overwhelming and almost a hopeless feeling. But so, you know, for any economic developer that goes through it, I mean, three months later, could you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Was it a year later? Because now you go to Joplin and it's just absolutely fantastic. I mean, how long was it emotionally before you were able to actually say, all right, we're going to be able to come back from this? You know, I think emotionally, all of us who went through that, I think emotionally, even a decade later, still get emotional about that. And there are odd triggers, if you will, that just some memory hits you because you're looking at something or looking at something new where there was something that used to be old that you liked, where we really felt like we could make progress. And I think for anybody who's gone through this, you know, there's this initial shock and it just feels like it's overwhelming. But when we started taking some of these little steps that I talked about, you know, we're going to open a one-stop center. We're going to get people out to talk to businesses. We're going to start coordinating, you know, that becomes a mission and you're taking those steps and you can start seeing those little wins, you know, you have a business now and they have a different location. It might be only temporary, but you got them there. And somebody needed a generator and you provided that generator. Then it became, can we get people laptops and start getting them laptops so if nothing else, they can work from home or their car or wherever. And you can start seeing as an entity, as the economic development entity or the chamber that you're making some impact. I think as the community, when debris started getting pushed to the side of lots and then the big trucks showed up and the real cleanup began and you started now sadly in some respects seeing an empty lot but in point of fact it wasn't covered in debris mm-hmm. and then the block wasn't covered in debris and then four or five blocks were covered in debris then you really felt like you were seeing some light there and we also had some great businesses we lost several of the big boxes Home Depot and Walmart and uh, Walgreens that was in front of them. And, you know, some of these other national chains that were on our version of the strip that every community has where the regional and national stores are. Even Home Depot putting up their tent store on the lot so people could go get lumber. And those types of things helped that. And then A real plus was when within a week after the tornado, when our schools, our school superintendent said, we will open on time in August. Now, there was a mad scramble to figure out where school would be. And in point of fact, one of our spec buildings became a middle school in there. But that feeling like we're going to recover, we're all in this together, we're moving ahead, things will be normal, things will be normal in August when the kids go back to school even though debris was still being carted out. So I think that feeling like, hey, we can get there, started gelling fairly quickly. But I would caution, you feel that urge to get things back as fast as you can, but honestly, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So was there anything, I mean, obviously there's probably lots of stuff, but did you learn something 
as an economic developer, I'm always interested in infrastructure. And I would just be thinking, how are we going to get this infrastructure back? So what could an economic developer to do to prepare? You know, next month is preparedness month. And let's hope none of us ever go through it. But learning what you've learned, if you just had to give one or two tips to people to think about, to have a plan, what might they be? I think from the economic development entity, whether it's a standalone organization, the Chamber of Commerce, or both, you really should work with your businesses and encourage them to take their own steps first. They should have their own disaster plan. And what I think was really critical for many of our businesses then, including us as an organization, was we had everything backed up in the cloud. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, of course you back it up in the cloud. But a decade ago, that was not necessarily the thing that went on. And I know there are still businesses that say, well, I have my system and, you know, they may not be fully backed up in the cloud. But I think just that preparedness and the other part is the communication. Where are your smartphones, your laptops, everything enabled so you can work from any place? is really critical for a lot of businesses because you may not have a building to go to. At that time, we had people who said, well, my business got destroyed, but all my insurance papers were in the filing cabinet and who knows where they are. I just need to call my insurance agent. Well, their insurance agent's business was gone too. The location was gone. So that redundancy there of having all of your documents backed up offsite and away from you is pretty critical. Yeah. The other thing we learned, which sounds kind of old school in some respects, but there's a big advantage to safety deposit boxes. We had several banks, bank branches that were knocked down, but the vaults were still standing and secure. And so copies of papers that were in safety deposit boxes were accessible within a few days after the debris got cleared away from the the vault. And so those are another good place to back up hard copies or, you know, put your disk or flash drive in. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. Hey, we're going to break for just a quick minute here to tell you about Today's Executive Search Spotlight. The Orangeburg County Development Commission is searching for an economic development director. The chosen individual will aggressively work to promote economic development for industrial, commercial, and agriculture investments. The OCDC is a full-service professional economic development organization whose mission is to improve the quality of life for all citizens through the growth of jobs and capital investment. This community is considered one of the best places in South Carolina for industrial development, just so that you know. Um, We heard from several folks in South Carolina who said that to us. They have a tremendous existing industry cluster of automotive and other sectors. Orangeburg County is home to over 100 manufacturers and distributors, including several Fortune 500 companies. They're also a leader of foreign direct investment in South Carolina. They're home to 29 international companies from 17 different countries. If you are looking for a new opportunity with an established economic development program, then Orangeburg is definitely for you. On top of all the industrial positives, the community has extremely supportive leadership, which we all know is critical to success. Orangeburg is located in the heart of South Carolina in between Columbia and Charleston, and it's a short drive to Augusta, Georgia for all you golf fans out there. So if you'd like to learn more about the opportunity, go to www.thenextmovegroup.com backslash Orangeburg.
Well, let's get back into the non-tornado <laughs> part of the interview. So just living in New Orleans, it's, I mean, we have to constantly watch it. And I remember in New Orleans, actually, once the Saints played a game, it's hard to believe a sports can pull you back together. But that was almost like the psychological point of everybody saying, okay, there's some semblance of normal, but half the restaurants weren't open. And now we're just all going through this COVID. And so I wouldn't compare COVID to a natural disaster, but you walk down the streets of New Orleans now, 80% of the restaurants and all are back closed again. So, you know, at what point do you sort of get back to normal? But tell us, you know, when you're 10 years old running around uh, North Missouri, what do you want to be when you grew up? Let's compare that to what you ended up being. <laughs> oh, 10 years old, man. That's a, a long way back there. But, you know, my dad was in the farm equipment business. He was a regional sales manager. We did not have an equipment store, although my grandparents did, both sets of them at one point. But he was a regional sales manager. He had a lot of different dealerships that he worked with. And I certainly loved in the summertime going with him and certainly seeing the big equipment, but, you know, just listening to the farmers and what was going on. And at that time, at 10 years old, I thought, you know, this would be pretty good. I like meeting the different people. I like hearing the stories. Like I said, kind of like that big equipment and at times pressed into service to hold things up while, uh, you know, the part got screwed on or whatever. <laughs> so I think many kids, you know, you look at your parents and say, oh, this is what I want to do. And then I really got fond of science and especially going into high school, I thought science would be really great if it didn't have that pesky math that might have been uh, something <laughs> to really really look at, but I also enjoyed the writing. That was probably the turning point, Chad, honestly. I had an opportunity to work at the local weekly paper. At first, it was really the grunt work of it. Swept up a lot, but also the owner of the paper was very willing to teach every, everyone how to take pictures and how to work in the dark room and Folding, we had this big old 1927 folding machine to actually fold the paper, which Cryosha wouldn't allow today because it had belts and knives and everything else in it. And here you are, 16, 17 years old, throwing stuff in there all the time. But he was very willing to let me get writing a try and start covering first the high school sports for him and then other things and being a writer. And that really kind of set me out to say, well, I really like to be in journalism, which by the end of the day became broadcasting, but that was the big opportunity there that really changed that trajectory. Well, who was the biggest influence on your career? You know, I'd almost in some respects, I'd hate to call anyone out in that because I think there've been great influences at different points in time. And I mentioned the person who owned the local weekly newspaper who gave me a chance instead of just sweeping to actually start writing and really kind of set that point of the trajectory. I think I was fortunate enough in the broadcast side and I'd have several mentors in there, including the owner of a station who said, well, why don't you give your hand a try at sales and really see if you can sell advertising and see the other side of what it takes to make this station run. And then 
the head of the Muncie Chamber at the time, who had not been there very long, that I, I worked with on small business things. His name was Jerry Mall, and he was a seasoned chamber person. He lives in Tennessee now. He's doing many other things, but you know, he's the one who said, why, why don't you try your hand at economic development? And we had a great agreement, Chad. I told him it was completely different, I thought. And so I tried for a year. If it didn't work, I would quit. And he said, I only have funding for the position for a year. So if you don't do a good job, you get fired anyway. <laughs> and so with that understanding, you know, we started off. And then, like I said, many of the folks here in Joplin who have been great sounding boards to say, can we change the trajectory of the city and do some different things who have been great advocates and mentors as well. Awesome. Well, as we wind down, uh, what's the best piece of advice you've ever had that you might could pass on to others who are coming up in the business? I think it goes back to that question you asked about why do you love what you do and why do you love economic development? Why did you love working in shopping, which I still do. I'm on a couple of city committees and those kind of things, but uh, working with other communities. That goes back to the second person who came in in Muncie, even though Jerry hired me, he was there for a couple of years more than he left. And of course, you know, they bring in somebody new and everyone has to adjust, but his name is Russ Sloan. He, he actually had more of a sports media background, which was interesting. We got along well. He always had this mantra about stakeholders and shareholders. And we always talk about stakeholders you know, the city is a stakeholder, our investors for the program are stakeholders, all of those kind of things. And he had a little different view on it. His view was always, those people are shareholders. They're vested. They're putting money in. If they're not putting money in, they're at least putting time in to create success. They're really shareholders in this. And they obviously want to see a, a return in that. But the stakeholders, the, the people who have a stake in the success of it, even though they may not put any money into it or be actively engaged or even know what goes on day to day, are really the citizens, the residents of the city, the people who get a better job, the uh, kids that get a better education or training. Those people we like to think of, I think oftentimes the stakeholders were in his world, they were the shareholders, the stakeholders where everyone else would benefit if we were successful. And I've always liked that approach in how to think about that because again it goes back at the end of the day you know it's neat to see a company expand or a new company come in and we say those are the people we work with but the stakeholders in that are the people who get the good jobs yeah and i've not heard it put that way before but i like that that's a good tip as we wind down well rob tell these folks how they can get a hold of you if they'd like to learn more about what you're doing with uh, o'brien and associates well, thanks, Chad. You know, you can reach me on email and it's rob at O'Brien and O'Brien is spelled with an A. It's a little different. O'Brien, O-B-R-I-A-N associates.com. Rob at O'Brien associates.com. You can see the website at O'Brien associates.com or you can just give me a call at 417-438-0100. I appreciate, again, the opportunity to be here. I think that people who do what we do, who work hard in economic development every day, are great champions of their community. 
and work hard to make things better for everyone. And it's a pleasure to spend a little bit of time with all of you here on the podcast and listening in. And Chad, thank you for the opportunity to chat with them. All right. Thank you, Rob. Folks, give him a call. He does great work and uh, you'll be real happy to get to know him and seeing this from a lot of angles, the chamber side, the economic development side. So uh, Rob can help you out. So Rob, thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Chad.